Hey, George, guess what? What? Oh, no, not again. George, you there? Yeah. George? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. We're live. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I had to. You know, you're the one who told me to try to refrain from swearing for the first. (laughs) (laughs) So... Uh, we are live. We've got George C. Romero in this new thing called Indie Brigade. Tell us uh, exactly what we're going to be doing here. Well, first of all, welcome to episode one, Redux, Redo, however you want to pronounce it. That's kind of where we're at right now. If you tuned in last time, you know we had some technical problems. Uh, we're both very sorry for that, and it appears that we are fixed and up and running now. Uh, so first, I'd like to say a huge thanks to Joe Ridgely for uh, reaching out to me in the first place uh, to produce the Indie Brigade. Um, it's something that I kind of always wanted to do, but never knew where to start. And, uh, Joe is a phenomenal producer and he's been doing a great job killing it for us. Uh, I appreciate that, sir. Not at all. So it's just the truth, you know, I mean, and where we're at here with the Indie Brigade, what it is, what's going on, what we're going to talk about, all that stuff. Um, I don't know for a lot of you who maybe are early viewers or people who know me personally, you know, that this is pretty much my personality. Um, you're not going to get anything different than that. Uh, some people may find that boring. Some people may find that abrasive. Some people may like it, but it doesn't really matter. And I don't really care. Um, what the Indie Brigade is about is about coming together as, as a community, uh, for independent filmmakers. Uh, it's about not necessarily, obviously it's about plugging work that we're doing, talking about projects we have going on, but more than that, it's about talking about the, the, the higher level of creativity that goes into this. It's about the process. It's about breaking down all of the things that we run into as independent filmmakers and artists and creatives and musicians and authors and whatever we are. Um, the, the barriers that we face trying to a get our work done, trying to, find work, trying to sell work, trying to exist in this business. Um, From time to time, we're going to have some really great sort of guests on from more of the business side of the industry, uh, distribution professionals, uh, people like that to come on and talk about the straight. uh, I may have to interrupt you because people are saying there's no sound. I hear you perfectly fine. Hmm. 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 Interesting. Well, that's, uh, you hear me? I hear you. So my audio is good. I can, somebody says I can hear and see. Okay, so I guess we're good. Thanks for derailing that train of thought, Joe. Oh. Awesome producer. <laughs> Ron, can you hear? I can hear and see. Well, okay, can you guys actually... I don't know if he was being sarcastic or, okay, now I can hear. Okay, so we're good. Okay, so anyway, uh, to pick up where I left off, that's essentially the core of the Indie Brigade. Uh, and and the cool thing about it and what I'm really hoping to achieve with it uh, is, is a way to kind of bring people together from different walks of the independent uh, world of creators, um, from musicians to filmmakers to authors and writers and 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 guests that we have on and people who become affiliated and associated with the show we're going to have a secret uh online community uh for members of the indie brigade uh one sure way to get in is to be on the podcast 
another sure way to, to get in is to be uh, an activist for us. Spread the word, talk about the truth that we're out here talking about, uh, and let everybody know um, that we're here and we're going to talk the hard talks. Um, and we're going to have experiences on here that a lot of people may or may not have experience with. For instance, tonight, the first guest is a, a guy named Scott Lake, who's a dear friend of mine and came to me a while back with a script that he had conceived called Killing Time and asked me if I would get involved with it. And getting involved with it was one of the more fun experiences of my recent uh, recent life. Uh, Scott's a great guy. It was a phenomenal story. And it was a great time to help him out and be part of it. Uh, another guy that we're going to have on right after Scott and with Scott is a guy named Chuck Daniels. Chuck is from a band called Bastard Sons of a Judas Goat. He's another dear friend of mine. And one of the cool things that came out of the failed episode one of the Indie Brigade uh, was sort of uh, these two guys talking. Uh, Chuck's band is phenomenal and they do great music and they're looking to get into scoring some films. Um, it's very doom, very atmospheric, very dark, and it's some of my favorite stuff. And uh, Scott's story kind of, I think Scott spoke about that, spoke like that to him a little bit. So these two guys are now in touch, and Chuck is doing music for Scott's film. That's a direct result of them being a part of the Indie Brigade, and it's something I'm really proud of, on nice. top of being proud of being involved with both of them independently. So, um, you know, these are the kind of things that I hope people, viewers, uh, can expect from getting involved with the Indie Brigade and becoming part of the Indie Brigade. Um, and, and that's about it. After those two guys, we got a guy named Brian Tan, who's a great guy, a phenomenal, phenomenal author. Uh, he is uh, one of the main hosts uh, of Plotaholics, uh, and he's a, a phenomenal guy to talk to, so I'm excited to have him on. Uh, he's a brilliant author, and he's got a pretty unique perspective on his own creative process. So that's going to be really cool to talk about. Awesome. Uh, after Brian, after Brian, we've got uh, of course the infamous Dan Yeager coming on. Um, he had me on his podcast not long ago, and I'm really excited that he's on episode one Redux. So there you go, Joe. There's your intro, episode one intro Redux. Everything beautiful. Redux. Well, without further ado, I'm going to get Scott up on here. I'm going to drink some coffee out of my woodworking mug. <laughs> And Mr. Scott Lake, there you are. I'm going to leave you gentlemen at it, and uh, I'll be back shortly with uh, Chuck. We'll leave the door cracked, Joe. <laughs> Scott, how are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm great, man. I'm great. I want you to know that pin that you gave me is on my workshop apron. And, <laughs> nice. Uh, I wear it proudly, and as we begin to, to create some... Uh, some content out of the wood shop that's going to be featured prominently. So I'm excited about that. Um, that makes me happy. Well, it makes me happy that you came on episode one, man. And it makes Thank me happy you. that you sent me your concept for killing time. Like what, like a year and a half ago, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, listen, just for, for anybody who doesn't know, why don't you give them sort of the quick rundown, quick, the quick two minute. I'm Scott Lake. Here's who I am. Here's what I do. Tell them about, you know, horror movie freaks and all that stuff. All right, so uh, Scott Lake, CEO of uh, Horror Movie Freaks. We have been around for going on about four years now, and our main strive is indie, any and everything in the indie genre for horror, whether it's uh, authors and their books, film, uh, music, whatever. If it's horror-based, we want to hear about it. We want to share it and get your, 
product out there. Um, on top of that, HMF has allowed me to meet quite a few interesting people <laughs> and somehow landed me and you meeting. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Robin Apello. Right. Um, <laughs> from, uh, from there, you know, it's, it's pretty much been history for you and I just meeting and constantly talking about insane things. Yeah. We became fast <laughs> friends. Didn't we? we really uh, did. Yeah. And it, it was pretty cool. And, and, you know, you were, um, probably the first representation of a creative, uh, film, uh, film centric life, uh, here in Kentucky that I had when I moved here. And, uh, you're probably my first, uh, first friend in the, in the whole state. And, uh, you know, definitely my best friend. So, you know, long that definitely means a lot, you know, and, uh, and, and, and same with Chuck. And that's why I'm just so thrilled that two of my brothers have figured out how to work together on something really cool. But, you know, before we get into that, let, let just like the actual production, let's go back and, and kind of talk about your experience. Let's talk about, first of all, let's talk about your creative uh, behind it and, and, and what drove you to, to come up with a story like this. Well, uh, a lot of it came out of you and I having a conversation about time cop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the time cop reference. There it is. I'm I'm still so sad we couldn't get that poster. I'm yeah, so I sad know. we couldn't get that poster. I know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, from there that conversation just went into my brain as, well, what about home invasion? <laughs> right. Well, okay, but I mean I understand that, but I want to talk a little bit about like your creative that went into it. I want to talk about the thing that drove you to go from somebody who had never done this before to somebody who has now done this. I want to talk about that inner creative of yours, that thing that was kind of yelling, Scott, you have to do this. I can, that's what I want you to kind of talk about. It's like I said, this isn't really going to be the normal kind of, of show. I really want gotcha. to into like this kind of stuff. So if you're comfortable talking about that kind of deep stuff, I, I would I like am. you to do that. <laughs> Um, so for the longest time, my brain has constantly just been in a mode of go, 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 go. Um, I've created so many different game, uh, worlds for games and this, that, or the other, but I was never able to really put anything into place and something just Messiah of Midian has just died. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, Brett Gray. <laughs> Uh, you know, if you guys have noticed that before it fell, it was a Brett Gray original. But yeah, uh, I digress. Um, eventually, ended up meeting people like you and Athai Guberman, and you all started pushing me more in this area to start writing. And when I finally sat down and started typing up uh, my first script, which was uh, Straight Jacket Seduction. Uh, fun little uh, circus sideshow-centric short film. Um, that's when it all just really started coming together for me and pointing me in the direction of, let's make a movie. So so, you <laughs> so your big move was, was actually to, to write a script, which I read. I read, um, I read it, and it was really good. And I remember calling you up and telling you you were a good writer and you should keep doing it. And... Mm -hmm. um, so, but now you've gone and you've made this movie. So in terms of, you know, how you, 
how are you now? How is your creative now as opposed to how it was before? You know, like you were all charged up like a horse waiting at the, at the starting gate, but nobody would, would open the, the gate. So now how do you feel that you've run a race? You know what I mean? Uh, well, there's still a lot of chaos that goes on for the creative process for what I'm doing, but it's more focused, if that makes sense. Uh, I, I now know that, hey, if I work hard enough and I do shit the right way, I might actually be able to make a film out of one of these. Right. So I'm just continuing to, to push as hard as I can for it. And I don't know. I'm, I'm losing track of this as we go. I'm a little nervous. I don't know why. <laughs> what do you mean you're losing track of, you mean of, of the film or of this conversation? No, of this conversation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, first of all, man, you got to find it. So, okay. So let me ask you this. So tell me, like, tell me something that you thought you knew about the process of making a film that that was completely thrown out the window once you had some practical experience doing it. In other words, do, do you understand? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I ever really had. I've just got stuff falling off the wall over here, guys. Is there like an earthquake going on? I'm pretty sure you'd feel it too, man. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, um, you know, what, what were the things you loved about being on set? What are some of the things that you didn't anticipate before the first time you walked on a movie set to direct it? What are some of the things, what are some of the pitfalls that you ran into? Let's talk about some of the, 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 the tough stuff that you had to deal with. Well, honestly, I had a really smooth set for my first, uh, first film. Yeah. Uh, Josh, Josh Mabe had, uh, really had put everything together and I just had to show up in North Carolina to direct. Yeah. Uh, well, so what was that process like for you, I mean, well, the, just for the uh, pure fact of not having to really do anything, <laughs> just sit back and wait for the call to come up there. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that. I, I feel a little cheated. <laughs> like I, I missed part of the experience, but I'm grateful that he was there to do it. Well, yeah, a good producer is uh, is is gold. Good producer is hard to find. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, I mean, I know for a fact that you ran into a lot of challenges. You know. So. Yeah, we uh, we had a couple of different actors where things happened that they had to drop out, so we had to do a quick run and snatch up somebody else. Uh, it actually allowed for uh, Jay Allen Tucker to get his first uh, lead character. Oh, that's so. cool. Uh, I mean, it's, on one hand, it sucks that we lost, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, it sucks that we lost Chris because uh, he has, everything I've seen him in so far, all the short films he's been a part of have just been insane. He's just amazing with his delivery. Uh, so it was a shame we didn't get to have him on set for it. But Jay stepping up and taking over, I think he did pretty damn good for his first go as a lead actor. Yeah, from what I've seen so far of the rough cut, uh, I'd, I'd say he did a pretty good job. So I'm looking forward to diving into that with you as well. Uh, our sound guy was phenomenal too, Tony Olson. Yeah. That guy, man, he just, consummate professional, just nailed it. I, I trusted him to know what we were looking for as far as audio went, and I think he did a good job of nailing it. Good, 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 good. Well, um, I, Go ahead. Go ahead. 
<laughs> I was just say the cinematography looks great from what I've seen too. That and is I, Austin Bittacofer. Color. Uh, Austin Bittacofer. He's 20, 21 years old, young guy, but a freaking genius with that camera. Yeah. And uh, he'll play off of whatever you tell him and he'll throw out a few ideas. And if you're smart, you'll listen to him and you'll shoot his, his ideas along with yours. Right. <laughs> so you got good stuff. You're in the rough edit phase now. Let's talk about the rough edit phase for a few minutes. Um, talk about how you felt the first time you watched the rough cut you got from the editor. I was so nervous. I, I didn't know if I was going to watch something where I just completely butchered everything I set out to do or if I put together something even remotely decent. And I'm happy. I'm happy with what I've got. Uh, I, I want to cut it down a little bit, get it uh, further away from that 15 minutes. But, yeah, it's, it's going to be uh, interesting getting in there and really getting into it. Yeah. Uh, is there anything um... – is there anything that you're you're specifically nervous about with regard to your getting it finished or your edit or your rough edit or anything like that? Uh, nothing I'm really nervous about so much as just making sure everything looks good. Well, I'm uh, sure from what I've seen, it does. So, well, uh, Jason Biggert, who is our editor, fantastic, good. and he is a hardworking guy. On top of a full time job, he's constantly working. Uh, films as well so uh, much love to him <laughs> very cool very cool well i think maybe you know and just uh, just a note to anybody mentioned if you see my eyes moving around because the cameras bounce around the screen so i'm following that and i also take notes uh when people talk so i can refer to them in that conversation i also want to show something off real quick that our producer here joe his daughter did for the film killing time So she, she painted this specifically for my movie. That's really cool. And you featured it in there and everything. Mm-hmm. It will be in the teenage daughter's bedroom. Cool. At least it should be in the teenage daughter's bedroom. <laughs> Very cool. Well, I think, I think we should probably uh, bring Chuck on. Um, so, Scott, if you don't mind standing by while I just talk to Chuck for a minute, and then we'll link, uh, link all of us back up we can uh, kind of keep this conversation going about, about the whole process. And Absolutely. Sounds uh, good to me. Scott, I'm going to drop you back down in the lobby. I want to, again, thank you about the whole painting of my daughter. She's ecstatic. She was able to go in her freshman year going, I got an IP and I, yeah, internet movie database page because my art was featured. I was like, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, but all right, give me one second and we're going to get Chuck up on here. Chuck. What's up, brother? How's it going, man? It's going pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little out of breath. I, uh, I just had to chase my uh, chihuahua. Uh, right before going on, and I've been over here trying like not to die. So, <laughs> well, I'm glad you didn't die, brother. I'm glad you didn't die. How's how's yeah. how's things other than the than the Chihuahua? Good. Yeah, yeah, things are pretty good. It's been kind of a chill afternoon for the most part. Good. Been out, been out shopping for uh, things for my son's birthday party tomorrow. Nice. 
Well, just to, to formally introduce you, everybody, this is Chuck Daniels from Bastard Sons of Judas Goat, uh, a dear friend of mine. The band is great. We just saw them live a couple of weeks ago. They killed it. Um, Chuck, why don't you kind of just fill us in about you, about Bastard Sons, about um, what you're doing now, uh, where people can find your music, that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, well, we... Uh... We've been a band for about. I'm I'm probably off a little bit, but we were we've been a band for about seven years, maybe give or take. Um, and only in the last couple of years we've really been playing a lot of shows. We've kind of chilled out a little bit now, uh, just because we're working on trying to get some more releases out there, uh, more of the stuff that we play live. Um. I am I am answering your your question correctly, aren't I? Yeah, yeah, man. Okay, just, just making sure, man. Just making sure. Uh, and uh, trying to get some more uh, more material out there. Um, uh, you can usually you can find us on Bandcamp, uh, Spotify, iTunes, maybe, and maybe one or two other places. Um, we've done. Uh, I'm trying to think. I don't know. I lost my train of thought on that one, but you know me. So we just go to these things, Bandcamp, Spotify, iTunes, just search for your band name. Yeah. Yeah. Just look for Bastard Sons with Judas Goat. And you're on Facebook. Uh, oh, yeah. And Facebook. Yeah, of course. All Which right. is where you'll see a lot of our live videos. Cool. Well, listen, I want to get into it. And I want to I want to talk about some shit that I don't think a lot of people talk about, really. I mean, maybe they do. I don't know. I don't pay attention. Um, but what I'm curious about is, you know, talking about the harder aspects of creating, you know, I mean, uh, some of the stuff that I was talking to Scott about, um, you, you know, I mean, like, what are some of the, what are some of the challenges you face when you're trying to create? You're also a writer, uh, you write novels, um, and, and you're, you're a damn good writer. Uh, Thank you. so, you know, I mean, but I also know you as your friend too. And, uh, you know, and as a fellow creative, and I know that we've had some long talks about the, uh, you know, the struggle just to create the struggle to find a concept, the struggle to, you know, whatever. I mean, so team relevant in, in talking about, I'm interested in this whole indie brigade thing, basically becoming almost a resource where people can come and, 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 and hear stories about other people going through some of the same stuff and maybe help figure out ways to, you know, overcome issues that other people out there listening might be having or something like that, you know I mean? So, so in terms of like, say you want to write a song or you want to write a, a, a new, a new novel, you know, where do you start? Where does your inner creative start? You know, what, what's that flame or that seed? Well, first off, we've talked about this before. Anybody who's creative uh, is immediately cursed yeah. because you, it doesn't matter. It's like, it's, it's one of the most ridiculous things. You're always told it's good to be creative. It's going to be creative. When you get older, it's like, it's like, I still to be creative, but I can't get it out the way I need to. Um, because it, it, it doesn't matter. Like it, when you're creative and you're trying to do something with it, music wise, directing, writing, anything, just painting, you know, uh, it, it's, it's a bound, it's, it's, it's a surefire thing that you're going to get turned down with. It. You know what I mean? Like you have to take a lot of beatings to get to get to where you need to be, or at least almost. Does that make sense? Yeah, man, I'm with you. Um, you know, it's like 
it's when it comes to writing, it could be a shitload of things. Can I cuss on here? Yeah, just try to keep it, you know, like PG thirteen R. Yeah, yeah, you know. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> no. um, yeah, just want to make sure. I haven't sworn uh, maybe once. Right, right. Well, I heard y'all talk about it a minute ago, but uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, it's like when it comes to writing, it could be like you look at you see like a, a couple of people and immediately for some reason a really crazy story thought like goes through your head of like how these people met where are they walking to what are they doing you know and that's that's how i start a lot of my writings when it comes to being a musician because those are the only things i really know how to do in that in, in that in that field but being a musician it, it starts with a riff it starts with that one or two chords that just uh, Make it happen for you. Make you smile. Make you nod your head. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get you. I mean, I can't play an instrument to save my life, but I get it because I think that there's a translation from that to the to to just literally the creative in general. You know, I mean, yeah. if you use riff as more of a universal term uh, that that's not necessarily actual musical notes or or a phrase or anything like that. You know, riff can be metaphorical in so many ways, and you know, I think yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Kind of, it's it's that same thing. But yeah. you're talking literally when it comes to the music. So both, yeah. Both. So that's that's cool. Okay, so now, so now you get this right. You have this spark. You have this riff. You have this thing. And then, why do so many of us wait and not jump on it? What gets in the way? What stops that? from happening uh well you you get older because for a lot of us that you know have been playing music since we were like in our early teens whatever you know it a lot of people a lot of your family members are just going it's just a phase please god let it just be a phase and then you turn like 30 and you're still playing music yeah and it doesn't seem like it's gonna it's gonna stop anytime soon even that goes back to being creative. Even things you love doing at a certain point, you go, I'm done with it. I'm done with it. I'm done with it. I'm done with it. But you can't. It's around. It's there. It's like, okay, I am no longer going to play music. You know how many times I've tried to quit playing music? I've been trying, I've been trying to quit playing music off and on for years, but I, I can't, I can't just not be, I have to be doing something. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm no feeling, man. <laughs> okay. So now you overcome it. How do you start? What do you start? Where do you start? Let's talk music and let's talk writing. You know, um, I imagine, well, knowing you, I think, uh, anyway, go ahead. I'm not going to answer for you. Oh, no. I mean, like, how do you start? What's how do you start? How do you get off that? How do you get off that starting block? How do you, how do you say, well, shit, man, you know, I got my job, I got my this, I got my that, I got my kids, I got my dogs, I got my plants, I got my life gets in the way, I got my yeah. excuse after excuse. What, at what point do you sit down? Because, you know, there's a lot of people that you and I both talk to out there who say, oh, I have all these ideas, but, you know, I, I would never, I could never do it. I would never. And they're, they're happy. They resign themselves to that. You know, yeah, I couldn't be that person at all. <laughs> that person at all. So, what is the difference? What's the difference between? You have to make. There's the people that are like, well, I've got this idea and that idea, and that'd be great, but don't I ever execute because sure. it's to the point. Um, they're different from the ones that are going like us that are like, you know, 
I have to do this because if I don't, it's going to be bugging me. It's going to be in my head over and over again. And, the, you know, it's like there's times where I'll have a riff or like Josh will have a riff and it never leaves your head. And it's like you have to wait a week and a half to have band practice. But you make you make time for that. You make time every, I don't know, week, once a week. We only practice once a week because that's the little time we have. It's when it comes to kids, jobs, uh, other, you know, life things. Life happens, as you said. Sure. Um, uh, you know, it makes it hard because there's been so many fucking times. Oh, sorry. That's all right. PG-13 usually has one F, okay? Yeah, they always well, use one F. My bad. <laughs> You know how we talk. You know how we talk not on here, all right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's like you 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 have to do something. You make, even if it's like 10 minutes of picking up your guitar or 10 minutes of sitting at a, at a computer screen and just staring at it because there's been times, and that's that's probably one of the hardest, most painful things to do is when you're like, I want to write. I don't know what the, I don't know what the hell I'm going to write, but I'm going to write something, and you sit there and you just stare at it. And you just look at it. And sometimes that, I don't know, that one text message or that one like noise outside or whatever, like get your brain going and boom, like 20 pages right there. Like just nonsense that you put together that actually works. Well-constructed noise. Yeah. You just flow. You just flow at that point. Yeah. Cool. And it's the same with, it's the same with music, right? It's the same when you, you know, I mean, Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, we uh, we you know you've heard a recent song that we've been working on. We've got two new songs we've been working on, and the one I let you listen to the other day is one that we've we just we started like that. We play it like three or four times in practice now. Yeah, uh, and it it just clicked. Uh, Josh had this riff, and that riff was in my head for like a week and a half. We went to band practice. And I already knew what I was going to do on drums. Yeah. And we executed it like amazingly. The, the, the version you heard was the second time we ever, we played it. And even though there are some quirks in it, we've worked out since then. Like it, it sounds pretty solid. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do. And that's, that brings me to the next thing I want to talk about, which is the fact that hopefully you're going to have a lot more songs to write here soon because you're, you're actually going to be scoring Scott Lake's film. And Scott is exactly. Active. Scott was on the show uh, just when we opened, and he's on hold now. <clears throat> well, I, I got to ask something. Nobody's going to discuss the elephant in the room uh, pertaining to creativity. Where did this band name come from? <laughs> uh, uh, actually, okay, all right, that's a good question. Um, Josh and I were in a band, which Josh being the guitarist and bastard sons of Jewish goat because we are two piece. Um, me and him were in another band, and we had band practice one day. It was a rainy, nasty day, and the only people that showed up was Josh because it was his house, me, and our bass player at the time. Uh, our bass player jumped on drums. I jumped on bass. And Josh was playing guitar, and we were like, screw it. We're, we're just going to say forget those guys. We're going to be a three-piece. We're going to be called Judas Goat. Moving on a few years later, um, that band – called it quits. I was in another band that called it quits. Um, and Josh and I started jamming and we were like, what do we call this? And I was like, bastard sons of a Judas goat. Or I was like, I I said something like that. And he's like, I don't remember that ever being a thing. I was like, I do. And 
he still has no recollection of that ever being said. I don't, I don't think, but I remember specifically that's when we were like Judas goat and the bastard sons thing came a little while later, but we get a lot of comments and a lot of compliments on, on that name. So I'm glad you asked Joe. Right on. Absolutely. Um, Episode one redux. I didn't even think cause I've known you so long. I just, it's just the name of your band and I think it's an awesome band name. I'm going to pull Scott up for two minutes so they can discuss uh, what's going on with that. And then we're going to have to get Brian on. Okay. What's up? Scott. <laughs> you. Scott, Chuck, Chuck, Scott. How's, How's it going, up? man? So talking in person instead of through text. I like it. Yeah. Can you, can you hear Scott? I yeah, I can hear you. You can't hear me at all. I can hear you just fine. I can't hear Chuck. That was Chuck. Can you hear me? This is Chuck. Can you hear me? Here we, go. we can dance if you want to. No, I'm saying all I can hear is just you asking me if I can hear. <laughs> <laughs> who's who's who? Is it me or your camera? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. So <laughs> I'm gonna ask a question. If Scott answers it, then we'll know he can hear me. So, so I have Chuck on, and um, you guys are now working together. Chuck and Bastard Sons of Judas Goat are going to do the score for Killing Time. Um, maybe can you talk about that and how you uh, how you felt about their music uh, with regard to how you think it fits in with your film? Well, considering that you right off the bat recommended these guys, was enough for me to be like, all right, they're going to be worth a listen at least. So I pull them up, listen to two or three tracks, and I'm sold. They're pretty great, right? Oh yeah, uh, the the thank you the doominess, if you will. Yeah, the doominess that dark ambience it has. It just I think that's going to work really well in Killing Time. Cool. I, I think it's going to be able to punctuate what I want it to punctuate. Um, Chuck, this is a new thing for you guys scoring a film. Uh, how do you, what's, what's going through your mind with regard to it? I mean, you've seen the rough cut. How do you guys feel about, uh, scoring your first film and, um, you know, what are some things that, uh, that you're, that you're both looking forward to and maybe apprehensive about? Okay. Uh, first off, we're incredibly excited about it. Um, uh, I think it's really cool that, that this, this partnership, uh, happened because of this this podcast, uh, or didn't happen because but it happened. You know what I mean? Um, because like it's really cool because we 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 did we scored one thing uh, a while back. There was a a collection of people on I guess like a noise ambient thread thing that they were going to uh, um, score this old movie called it was a Russian film I think called Man with a Camera. And each each person uh, was placed uh, in a different scene and had to score that scene. And that uh, we had a lot of fun doing that. And we had always talked about the idea of like taking like some old movies that people don't even know, whatever, and like put our own little fill fill on them. Um, we put out something a while back where the inspiration for what we were doing uh, was while watching a messed up movie called uh uh the begotten have you ever, have you ever seen that um that movie's terrifying 
but yeah, we've, we've, we've wanted to do that for a long time. And so we're, we're glad to actually have the opportunity. We're actually really excited about it. The first time when we actually watched it, um, we were right. We had a, uh, like two pages in, in uh, Josh's notebook of ideas of this scene and doing this and this and, you know, and, uh, and after talking to Scott about, um, the direction he wants to go with things, um, it, we're really even more excited because he pretty much is like, Hey, like, I like your stuff here, go with it. And it, I, we really hope that everything works out and you like what we do. <laughs> Did Scott hear that? Not a word of it. Well, it was very nice. Watch it back later and talk to me. So, with that technical difficulty, um, look, I think that we get, we did a pretty good job for our first couple uh, interviews here. Um, you know, Scott, thank you for coming on. Ch- I love you, Chuck. Thank you for coming on. I love you, brother. Thanks uh, for having me on. Let's and uh, and we'll we'll have updates on this killer time and this project and this partnership between these two guys as the progress uh, as the project progresses. Um, but right now we got to move on because I have Brian Tan on hold. Uh, he's a brilliant author uh, and 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 host of uh, the Plotaholics, and we got to jump over to him for a little while. So guys, thank you very much. Love you both tremendously. Have a great night, guys. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, bro. If I may make a suggestion, uh, if you guys want to hang down in the lobby for a little while and if we can incorporate you in anything, we may. So uh, let's see what happens. I'm down. Wow, that's fancy. That's <laughs> We're going to play a new game, George. It's going to be called Read My Mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Let me get Brian up here. Hopefully, Brian. Andy, right here, Joe. <laughs> well played. Very well played. <laughs> oh, another time. <laughs> Brian. Hey, oh. <laughs> What's going on? Oh, man. Another day, another nickel, and then I was taxed to a penny. Oh, I hear you, man. I hear you. <laughs> Oh man, it's good to see you. I'm watching you on Facebook. I'm loving what I'm seeing. You're going through this whole, this whole uh, metamorphosis, man. It's crazy cool. It, it, I tell you, man. It's 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 been a crazy, crazy ride. But I'm telling you, I'm, I'm just I'm just having a friggin' ball, man. I'm like I'm like Marv dragging a guy face first in a speeding car, man. I'm just having a ball. <laughs> <laughs> you look great. It means the world to me that you came on to here tonight, man. It really does. Oh man, I'm just honored to be asked, man. You and I have been, you know, going back and forth for what, going on two years now. Yeah. So you, you, you know, man, if you need me to show up for something, I'm there, man. Hey, back at you, man. Anything you need, anything you need. Listen, the reason I wanted to have you on is because you're a brilliant author. Uh, and uh, you know, we've had some pretty deep conversations there on the old uh, social media. Yeah, we have, man. It's, it's gotten deep, man. It's gotten really deep. Yeah, with the uh, tweets and the all the, the things the young kids are doing these days. Oh, yeah, the kids tweeting the Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Staying woke. <laughs> and I woke up this morning. Yeah, me too. I woke up this morning. And it's a good day. Sleep. Right? Every day above ground's a good day, right? Damn right. So, Absolutely. 
So I want to talk about writing. I want to talk about your creative process. Um, I'm, okay. I'm sure I'm not sure how long you've been waiting to go on. I'm, I don't know. Uh, if you... I've just been sitting back enjoying the conversation, man. I'm cool, sure. man. Well, I mean, you know, we've even talked about this a little bit. The point of the Indie Brigade is, number one, to talk about kind of the, the, the stuff that most people don't talk about, sort of the higher level or the skewed viewpoint or the... You know what I mean? Um, yeah, the, yeah, things, yeah. the things that most everybody goes on and says, I'm working on this. It's great. It's about, you know, mm -hmm. this and that. And, and, you know, everybody jerks each other off for a while over that stuff. <laughs> but I don't want to do that. I want to, you know, obviously I want to talk about stuff we're working on because that's cool and that's our lifeblood, right? That's what keeps us alive. Right. The, the, the thing that, that I want the Indie Brigade to be about is why is that our lifeblood? What is that that pumps through us? That's what cool. makes us be the kind of people who have to do this and what you know how do we find other people to work with because the the secondary purpose for the city brigade or the primary purpose i guess hopefully at one point in the future is going to be that this whole thing becomes a resource we're going to start a secret online community so if you've been on the show you'll be invited to join the community if you interact with or you become an active you know like an activist for the show or things like that you get invited into the community and it's a community for true independent fringe outlaw creators filmmakers writers um photographers musicians name it but a place where we can connect with no pressure with no you know douchebaggery no bullshit just people trying to help each other out you know i'm a woodworker and i have been my whole life <clears throat> and there's a brilliant online community for woodworkers where everybody's truly and legitimately supportive That's and, awesome. truly and legitimately offers help and offers guidance and you know it's 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 cool for the community it's also largely from selfish reasons because part of you know part of what we do the creative in my mind is we have to get it out one way or another absolutely, and absolutely. when you've been down this road as long as i have and as long as you have you know i mean you learn things and it's kind of like with a kid you see a kid reaching for an outlet with a fork and you're like oh that's going to be a bad idea you know, if we can do things to help people or stop them from making bad choices or or Absolutely. help make better choices or help them to create one way or another, we can all come together and and that becomes the community around the Indie Brigade. So Absolutely. And I really wish that there was something like this when I first got started, man, because you want to talk about growing pains and, and learning things the hard way. Oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about that. Okay, so what are you talking about, right? Because those are the comments people make, and then somebody goes, oh, I bet it was tough, and then they move on. So, like, let's talk about that. <laughs> all right. Well, so I started working on my first novel back in, geez, 2006. I had moved from my hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to um, Ringe, New Hampshire. And if you ain't heard of it, don't worry. I hadn't heard of it either. It's like 65 miles from Manchester, New Hampshire, and about 100-some-odd miles from Boston. And it's literally... You know, there, there's just not much going on. You know, it's, it's beautiful countryside, you know, beautiful when the seasons change. And, you know, and I met some cool people, but, you know, they're also not the most diverse group up there. So, you know, I was having a rough time and, you know, I'm a gamer and I didn't have a gaming group. And, you know, we were still in the infancy of social media. So I couldn't just game with people online, you know, like you can now. So. Right, like land parties were a thing. 
Right. I could. Yeah. yeah. I could, couldn't do it. So um, back when I was in high school, I used to have this reoccurring nightmare. Now I had tons of nightmares as a kid because I was six years old when Return of the Living Dead for actually no, I was five when Return of the Return of the Living Dead came out in 84, 85. So I was about five, six years old. And I used to sneak and watch it as a kid. So, and I live, I I grew up right near one of the biggest um, cemeteries and crematoriums in the city of Pittsburgh. So every time it rained, I thought that the zombies were coming. So I'd be pushing my couch in front of the door. So I always had nightmares, like constantly. And then um, I remember I always had this one nightmare back when, when I was in high school. You know, I'd be in a this old school like medieval dungeon and every time i would walk by a door you know a monster would come out and i'd be fighting and you know i have to fight for my life when i get to the end of the corridor you know i'm I'm busted up i'm bleeding the door opens and this last monster that's there i can't see its face and me and this monster are fighting and we're going at it for like you know a day and a night and i slip and just as my neck gets broke i see myself And then I wake up just as I die. Well, I'd had this nightmare so much for so long and I had no outlet for it. And I remember I had had a a bit of a nervous breakdown and I had to, you know, I went into, you know, go to the hospital. And as I went, as the cops were taking me, it was almost like, I was in the car, but I had no control of the wheel. And there was this other entity there that classified itself as Bryce. So when I was in the hospital and I spent a lot of time to myself, and then I realized I started to get to know this entity a bit. And then when I got out of the hospital and I started going to my gaming groups again, I made this character into a role-playing character. And I'm still having the nightmares, but they weren't as bad. So, you know, fast forward a couple of years and, you know, I'm doing the music thing around Pittsburgh. Nothing's really coming about. I meet my ex-wife. I moved to New Hampshire. I just sit at her laptop. I open up Word and I just start typing. And one page turned to 10. 10 pages turned to 30. 30 pages turned to 100. I realize I'm writing journal entries, man. I'm writing journal entries as this character, Bryce. So then I start reworking it. And then that's how I started working on my first novel. Um, Ended up being titled The Enforcer. Um, I started putting, trying to get it out there about, and I've been hitting the head a lot. So my timing is always off. Um, You know, I've said in some interviews, it's been, it was between 2007 it was between 2007 and 2009 and i'm trying to get the book out there you know i'm like well obviously i'm going to get a publisher you know I, I wrote the next great american novel and this is going to be amazing so i i ended up printing the whole thing out as best i could mailed it to myself so i'm like well now it's copywritten cuz i mailed it to myself and <laughs> you know and then i'm trying to get in touch with publishers and it's just like Form rejection after form rejection because I'm not, I didn't know how to write query letters. I'm just putting stuff out there. And then it's like, you know, someone said, we'll try getting an agent. Yeah. And I remember this one, it was called the New York Literary Agent something or whatever. 
<laughs> yeah, it didn't even sound right, but it's like, but they must be agents. It's online. Everything you see online has to be real. So about 80 to 120 bucks later, I realized these folks ain't doing jack for me. Yeah. So I'm like, gain my stuff back, blah, blah, blah. And if you try to keep my stuff, I'm going to sue you, blah, 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 talking all tough. So then I realized Amazon does self-publishing. So I put so I put the book on there to self-publish. Nobody read it. The only people that got it were people like three people that knew me. And I was right. so pissed. I mean, I even had a signing at a local bookstore. No one really showed up for it. It was it was the biggest damn disaster of all time. And I was so pissed that I practically quit writing right then and there. Like I was just done. Yeah. But then I was like starting to work on the second book. And then I was like, screw it. I'm not doing this no more. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. And then I started working on another something. And then I was like, no, I'm done. <laughs> and then um, I started working on an erotic crime thriller that I called Ed and Livy. And it's like, no, I'm done. And then this, yep. this person that I was seeing um, who I don't even really like to think about too much, but, you know, I was being told, you know, why don't you just finish this book? I'll pass it on to my publisher, see what happens. So I went to this cool little coffee shop in Burlington, Vermont, which was about 15 minutes from where I was living at the time. And I had like five cafe mochas with 10 shots of espresso each. <laughs> I literally didn't sleep for a whole weekend. And I got this book written in a weekend. I went from like page two to page however many it took to be finished. And I was done. And I right. felt pretty good. Then I it, someone made the suggestion of narrating audiobooks. At this point, we're at like 2013, 2014-ish. So I start doing audiobook edit, you know, recording, and that's how I, I meet TJ Weeks, and I'm doing his audiobook for his book, um, Unfleshed, and it's crazy, you know me, I'm you, and you know me, I'm not really religious, I'm a spiritual person, sure, but yeah. you know, Lord works in mysterious ways, man, because I do this audiobook for TJ Weeks, he and I become but friends, and then he invites me to write for his painted mayhem anthology back in the day. And I didn't think that I could do it. You know, this, you know, and this, you know, I've talked to this guy, he, he's a guy who wrote for a lot of years as his only gig. And, you know, he's got all these other authors involved. It's like, who the hell am I? I'm some dude that couldn't even get people to buy his self-published book on Amazon. Come on now. You're a good author. That's who you are. And you know, he, and that's what he said. He said, look, I wouldn't ask you to do it if I didn't think you could. So I'm like, all right. So I wrote this story called A Father's Love, and I was damn proud of it. And then I started getting that feel back, that urge back. So then I start working on the sequel to The Enforcer. You know, I'm 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 supposed to be working it, but I'm you know. And then you know, I start working on this sci-fi, and I'm yeah, I'm all over it. I'm all over it. I end up meeting up with one of the other authors that was um in the anthology, Kendra Souter, and she and I started becoming friends. And I happened to, on a humbug, picked up her book, um, The Harvested, the first book in her permutation archives. And I fell in love with this book, man. It, it was such an awesome book because it, it was compared to like X-Men meets Hunger Games. And it's like, well, I like one of those things. 
you know, X-Men, the rules. Right. So I'm reading this book and I'm getting into it. And then I get this idea. And I go back to this three chapter book that I started writing. And I even, the file was even titled, what the F are you? Like I had no clue what this thing was, but this character was doing like Bryce Cree used to do, you know, come on, man. I'm yeah. here. Yeah. So I'm working at um, West Penn hospital, which is about a mile and a half from my house. So I'm walking to work and I messaged Kendra Souter. I said, Hey, listen, I need to pitch something to you. I just need five minutes of your time. And she says, okay. And I'm like, Holy crap. This is, I'm thinking this is going to make or break me being a writer at this point because, sure. um, you know, I finished um, The Hunted, which is the second book um, in the of the Bryce Creed series, the Path of Redemption series. Right. And um, but and it wasn't really doing anything, you know, and I was like, you know, well, I don't know if I'm going to keep this up. So I pitch her what would be my book, our book, Invincible Heart, which is the first book in the permutation archives division. I pitch it to her. Here's my idea. And Kendra stays quiet. She listens after five minutes. She goes, now you have to write this. Yeah. You have no choice. Yeah. So I'm like, yes. So I get to work and I'm brainstorming everything. I have this little notebook cause I'm a security supervisor. So this notebook is supposed to be for incidents. I'm sure. writing little notes in my little notebook there. And it's like, oh, someone's car got hit. Who gives a shit? I'm working on a book. F you, man. Right. So finally, a month later, the first draft of Invincible Heart is available. It's done. And then Kendra message mentions me to her publisher at the time. And they say, you know, we love this book and we want to buy all your, we, we want to publish all your stuff. I'm like, yeah, I got a publisher. This is awesome. However, you get what you want, but it's not what you need. And this is nothing against, you know, my, my very first publisher. I, I appreciate them greatly, but it just wasn't a good fit. Um, the philosophies weren't the same. So earlier this year, I said, you know what? I want all my, I want to exercise my option. I'm dissolving my contract because this just isn't working. So I take all my books to um, Kendra and her husband, Ed's um, publishing House Burn and Willow Press. And I'm so excited because he's like, you know, this is where I feel like my books belong. Kendra and Ed understand me. And this is all worked out. Well, we re um, and they put out um, the sequel to Invincible Heart, Unbreakable Mind. And I was so proud of that. I was so proud. And then, you know, Invincible Heart comes back out. And just as, you know, we're ready to put the Enforcer back out, you know, Unfortunately, Burnham Willow Press has to close its doors because, you know, there's, you know, issues going on and Kendra and Ed to make that difficult decision. And sure. I'm so, I mean, so here you are now. You're yeah. in the same kind of spot you've been in. And, yeah, kind you know, of. And, and one thing that, you know, the one thing that was a con I didn't mean to interrupt you. but oh, no, no, no. It's cool. Um, I was just going on and on and on. So I was just no, it's cool. I wanted to kind of kick on a couple of things that you said real quick because some mm -hmm. one of the things that I picked up on is something that even Chuck uh, said when he was on earlier, which was, um, you know, it's that feeling of wanting to quit, and, oh God, yeah. but then not being able to. And it's interesting to me because the stuff that has pushed you and pushed you, you're saying actually physically manifests itself 
within your your uh, your inner creative to the point where uh, you, not only do you have to get it out, you've got to find a mission to make sure it gets sold and make sure other people read this thing that manifested within your mind. I do because and, and you get closure from that. I do because I'll tell you something right now. If I don't write, man, those those little th these characters that live in my head will not let me rest. I mean, I've had times where I've had to be up at work early and I can't sleep because all these voices and, you know, you say, oh, wow, you know, I hear voices and blah, blah, blah. Next thing you know, the guys in the buff line nets are coming. <laughs> but I will sit at my laptop and I will write and write and write. And it's like, are you bastards finally satisfied? Can I go back to sleep? It's like an internal struggle. Yeah. Because when I try to quit, when I try to not do it, it's like, because I don't have anything else. I'm not good. I'm, I'm good at playing video games. I'm good at running my mouth and I'm a writer. And that is my main thing. I am a writer. So I can't quit writing. And I was so fortunate when Burning Willow Press closed its doors that um, Random Evolve Media um, was being run by um, Richard Prude. He's an awesome dude. And, you know, he has a great vision and a great understanding of an amazing understanding of marketing and, you know, promotion and, everything else, you know, he, he comes to me, you know, I, I get a call from um, Ed Souter saying, Hey, listen, there's an opportunity for you. So listen to what Richard has to say and the way Ed said it, because Ed knows, and as you know, you know me long enough, but now I don't trust people. Yeah. I don't really, I don't really dig new people coming into right. my, into my atmosphere because yeah, I'm very paranoid about people. Yeah. And so I hadn't really talked a lot to Richard. But Ed comes to me and he vouches for him. I said, well, listen, if you're vouching for him, I'll hear what he has to say. Sure. And then now, you know, Richard says, listen, I love your stuff. I love what you do. I love what you're about. I want to publish your stuff. And, and I said, hey, Ed vouched for you. So and, and that's one of the things, too, you know, for if you're just starting out, man. And I said this every single show that I've ever been on. You know, if you're new, you're trying to come into this game, man. You want to get yourself surrounded by some good quality folks. So when opportunities come your way and someone that you trust comes to you and says, here's an opportunity, yeah. you know it's gold because there, there's there's some snakes in this business. There's some, there, there, there's some monsters in this business, man. There, there's monsters that they will make these cats sitting in Washington look like kittens by comparison. Yeah, no, and there's more of them than there aren't. There's exactly. more of them than the other kind. There really are. So you've really got to surround yourself with good quality people, you know, good um, mentors, good friends, and be a good friend to these people, too, because one of the best and one of the greatest communities is the independent community, whether it's music, writing, film, wrestling, independent communities are some of the best communities because we don't have the same bullshit that, you know, the mainstream does. Like, yeah, you're going to get some toxic-ass people with some toxic-ass personalities. Sure. But the cool thing is, is that everyone is just the average Joe, just like everyone else, just trying to get by. That's right. And here's why I think the indie community is such a good community. Here's a major contributing reason, and tell me if you agree with this. Mm -hmm. I think it's because... All of us indie creators, I mean, for the most part, right? Like, I mean, uh, there's, 
you know, if if the if 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 the government was to do profiles on on demographics of people, right? There's like serial killers. We were loners with you know they were loners with no whatever, and now indie filmmakers we're we were loners with no sense of community, and now we come together in this community, and you know we're accepted and we accept and we love and support and push and help and you know and it's cool, but there's nothing formalized for it. And that's, you know, and that's where I think if we can have a place like the Indie Brigade where we can we can go into a private group. And by the way, everybody on tonight will get their invitation to the Facebook group after the show. And I mean, you'll be the founding members of it. So just be us. We'll get more people in. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I think that sense of community is something that's that's there in terms of support and love, you know, in terms of people clicking like. Right. Absolutely. But, but I think that we want more of a share type community where, you know, where we can get to a point where somebody's on a set and they run into a problem where they have to change a shot and change a script, and do all kinds of stuff. And I want them to share those kind of experiences or somebody's got a book out and a publisher says, we're going to publish your book, but we need you to make these edits. And the struggle that you're going to go through with some of those edits and how you deal with that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I feel like you and I could talk for hours about some of this stuff. Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, and, really and I, I hope you'll consider um, coming on, uh, you know, on a regular to talk about. More Absolutely. Anything. Absolutely, man. I, got, I already told you, man, if you need me for yeah, something, man. you know, I'm there. Uh, back at you, man. It'll be it'll be really good stuff. And, you know, um, I just. I think. uh I think we're at a point with this community of creatives where, you know, I'm not saying everybody has to go throw around their ideas. That's not what it's about. It's about, it's about the support. It's about keeping going. It's about when you wanted to quit, when Chuck wanted to quit, when, you know, when I've wanted to quit, when everyone I know who's continues to make stuff and does stuff wanted to quit. It's that thing that keeps them going. And then on the other hand, the, the, the thing I'm looking forward to for some other viewers of this is, you know, maybe people who are out there saying, oh, I have this idea, but I'm afraid to do it. Or I have this idea, but life gets in the way and I can't do it. And, um, you know, what? if you say you can't, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll this is one of my favorite quotes. And I want, I'm quoting um, the wrestler Diamond Dallas Page, who's the founder of uh, DDP Yoga, which is changing my life. If you say you can or you say you can't, you're 100 percent right. That's right. You can either do it or you don't do it. And it's cool. You know what? Here, here's the thing. Sometimes you got to take a step back sometimes. For your own emotional health, you got to take a step back. Yeah. You know, I've had to do that, you yeah. know, but I'm getting ready to slowly get back into it. You know, at the end of the day, being an indie, the only difference between being an indie anything and not is doing it. That's right. I mean, hell, you know, you've got your show. You're doing your show. I do my show with the great Shane Wilson, you know, where we do our film review. And I'll tell you something right now. It's 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 picking up, and I didn't think it would, but it's because we're just doing it. And it's not work. It's just it's fun to do. And it's not even just fun. It's stuff that we already do. We already write. We write our articles like you and I are doing. We're shooting the breeze, and, you know, we're talking about stuff. It's what we do. That's and right. when we write, it's what we do, you know, and it's like 
if you want to be, if, if when you wake up in the morning and all you can think about is writing or filmmaking or whatever the hell it is, then that's what you are. That's what you're meant to be. So do it. And the cool thing is now for the cats that are coming up, for those of us that were in it before there were communities online, you know, you cats are coming at a great time because us old heads had to had to have our hearts broken and our pride stomped on and all of that to get to this point. We had to. Beyond that, man, we had to go a lot further for our resources, too. I had to take three buses to get downtown to go to the comic shop that had the weird VHS tapes of the movies you couldn't find Mm -hmm. anywhere else when I was growing up. You know what I mean? Same here, man. To get to down, get to Ides in downtown Pittsburgh, man. I had to do the same thing. What I'm talking about? I'm talking about Ides, actually. Yeah, you know, I know you know Ides. I know you know Ides. Ides is where you had to go, and then there was also incredibly strange video, which is where you Mm -hmm. went if if Ides failed you. Mm -hmm. uh, you To incredibly strange video, and and there wasn't anything that guy couldn't get. Um, Right, exactly. But there was no way for guys like us to see it if we didn't go to those extremes. Now exactly. you Google it and you know Yeah, now you just Google and there it is. Or if yeah. you had or if you go into Oakland and hang out with Phantom of the Attic on Universe for those of who don't know Pittsburgh, uh, Oakland is where the University of Pittsburgh is. It's like the central hub of Pittsburgh. You know, some places is downtown for Pittsburgh, it's Oakland. Yeah, and, you know, CMU is like on one side of Oakland, Pitt is on the other side, and everything just comes together. And yeah, you would go to the Phantom of the Attic or some of the many indie record stores or the indie music stores that were you know, movie stores to get the stuff you couldn't see. You want to get a, 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 a Asian bootleg version of night of the living dead done in color. That's where you went to go get it. But I swear to God, I can never watch any of those old black and white movies in color. Cause it's a freaking sacrilege. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but you know, listen, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I had to be I had to be a film snob for a second. That's all right. You're kind of speaking to me there, to my to my heart there, and and I could literally go on for another hour with you about it. Listen, I gotta I gotta introduce my next uh, my next guest, Dan Yeager. I don't know if you guys have ever met. If you're not doing anything and you want to hang out, um, oh man, I'd love to, but I gotta get up in the morning for work. Oh, bro, do it. you do it, man. Get up. Go yeah, go. but you know what? I'll de- I definitely take I'll definitely take a. Uh, a rain check on that because I love the concept of the show. You're my you're my bro, man. I dig you. You need me around. I'm there. If you're you're doing and you just need someone to just show up out of the clear, hit me up. I'm there. Back at you, brother. Thank you so much for coming on, man. You have a good night. All right, you too, guys. Take care, Joe. Later. Later. All right, man. It's been pretty fast paced tonight. Let me, uh, I think we got Dan in the lobby right now. And I'm giving you a couple of second warning, Dan. Oh, you're live. All right. Hey, Dan. <laughs> I- I'm alive. Dan, can you hear me? I hear you. I don't see anything. Hey, look at that. We can at least I fixed talk. it. Can you see me? Yes. Can you yes. see me? I don't see anything. It's It says be live. He's on a phone, so he's not going to see... Well, just know that I fixed it, and I look fantastic. Awesome. You did fix it. And you know what? I'm going to bow out now <laughs> because I've done enough damage for the evening. <laughs> but one thing, wait, I got to say one thing. Dan, I, I thought you had to uh, have the facial hair until October. What happened? 
Um, I don't know why people get so hung up on beards. There's, there's a lot of, I don't know. Because you're the man with the beard and a good beard. Yeah. You know, sometimes, sometimes I get just sick of it and, you know, I don't know. There's no, there's no plan. There's no, there's no rhyme or reason to it. It just, it just is. It'll be back by December. In, in all its glory. Oh, who are you kidding? You're not going to shake. Or it won't. I'm not. I'm not committing to anything. Actually, you're not going to. You're not going to. You're not going to corner me, Joe. Uh, well, I mean, who are you kidding? You don't have to shave for three days, and you look like the Wolfman. So <laughs> we're all very envious of the beard and head. But anyway, all right, guys. I'm going to drop out. You guys discuss. Right, Dan, how you been? I've been great. How about you? Yeah, pretty good. Good. Good, good, good. It means a lot to me that you came on the episode one redux or redo or however you personally prefer to pronounce it. Um, I, I, you know, I really was excited about having you on here because, as you know, we're friends on Facebook and I, I, I watch um, I watch the uh, the tone of some of your posts and I really identify with it. And, uh, for instance, the other day you, you said that you were a dark and stormy guy, not a once upon a time guy. Uh-huh. And I actually relate to that. And so what, when, when we were going through the Joe translator, um, I was asking you about a question. We had a an author on earlier named, uh, Brian, um, uh, who, and a, and a musician friend of mine on named Chuck earlier. And one of the things that they both said about their struggle coming through and coming up so far has been all the times they wanted to quit. And all the times they wanted to go back to the private sector and all the times they wanted to stop the creative endeavors. And, um, you know, as a creative, you know, it seems a a common thread among a lot of us is this constant battle that we're fighting to try to decide to want to quit at which we then ultimately lose that fight. Like we go into that. It's like walking into a bar fight, you know, you're going to lose. Right. And uh, so you know, and and one of the the viewers commented up during that conversation and said that you have to have your pride broken as a creator to become a better creator. And you know, based on sort of the dark and stormy night side of your creative, uh, I was curious for your sort of take on on that, whether or not you think you've got to have you've you've got to have your pride broken. I agree with that on a lot of levels, and I disagree with it on some levels. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that it's a necessity. I bet it does actually, you know, inform one's creativity. I've never really, you know, ever doubted myself. I don't know. Blame my mother. She was. She was. You know. She was an, an encouraging mother. <laughs> So, um, so you've never had a God. I can't. Uh, I can't do it anymore. I gotta quit. I. This is this is bullshit. I'm done. No. No. Never once. No. That's awesome. Um. I, I don't have, even know what that must be like. You know. It's always been okay. I've gone as far as I can with this particular pursuit in my life, and you know, I want to try something else. But it's always been, you know, every every creative endeavor, I think, has, you know, its own life. Yeah. Um, and they they eventually die, you know, move on. Don't don't get hung up on and certainly don't, you know, you know, don't 
I, I don't know. I, I could never allow it to, you know, shake my faith in myself. Um, I don't know why. Um, maybe I'm ridiculous. <laughs> I don't think so. I think that's yeah. probably, I think that's, you know, look, everybody's inner creative is different from everybody's inner creative, right? Yeah. Um, I, you, know, you know, I mean, I, you know, certainly, certainly in acting school, every, you know, every, every uh, acting class I've ever taken, every audition I've ever done. No, not every audition. Sometimes, sometimes I think I, I nail it. And sometimes, most of the time, I think, oh, that was terrible. And I'll get a call back, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. Um, well, see, so that's the same thing. That's what, yeah. you, that's what we're talking about. It's that that is self doubt. That is that that thing inside your voice that says, "Damn it!" You know. Well, I, 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 then you I, keep going. It's always the work, Point. you know. It's never me. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I can do a lot better. You know, it never, it never. You know, I mean, every every movie I've ever done, which is not that many movies, but um, you know watching them i always see oh i could have done that better you know that's that's sure. that's the curse of cinema is Absolutely. That, you know you only get so many takes and then the editor gets to choose what they like and you know i'll tell you look here's yeah, something here's here's a piece of of filmmaker trivia from my brain i can't yeah. watch anything i can't watch anything i've ever made yeah. without remembering every argument that led up to that particular shot. Yeah. Every battle I had to fight, yeah. every argument I had to, to win, uh, every, every <laughs> obstacle that came between, uh, okay, you know, rehearsals up and, you know, roll camera. Yeah. Uh, it, it, literally every edit, every shot of everything I've ever done yeah. reminds me of every circumstance surrounding that shot. Yeah. And it plays over so loud in my head. And it's not until years later that I think, oh, maybe I should have moved the camera 10 feet to the left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, there's always that. But, no, I, you know, it's it's I've never none of that has ever, you know, been able to affect my core belief in myself. I, you know, I. I you know, everybody's their own worst critic, you know? Yeah. But, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, especially, you know, since I've been doing a lot more writing, I talk to other writers and, you know, people who want to be screenwriters and I always tell them, you know, your, your first script, your first completed script is going to suck. And I tell them that as they're handing me their first completed script and I said, your second completed script is going to suck less. <laughs> your third might be readable. Right. Your fourth might be good. And the trick with it is that, you know, you never quit. You know, you don't allow your, your suckiness to make you quit. You know, you can't let that affect your sense of self-worth. That's right. You have to push through that. And I tell them Hollywood is full of the people who didn't quit. That's right. You know, everybody wants to quit. You know, 
everybody does poorly, you know, and, you know, because I think the first thing you, you, you really develop as a filmmaker is your, is your discernment of good cinema. You know, you look at a a movie and you, oh yeah, that's good. Or that sucks. You know, they could have done that better. And you develop that long before you actually develop the skills to, to create it. And so, you know, that's, that's the hard part of the journey, I think. The learning, the 10,000 hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's the fun part, right? Because no, it's you know, all fun. Yeah. Well, yeah. But I mean, that's the, the, when everything's new, Yeah, you know, yeah. before you, before you realize that somebody's eye light was, you know, a grip off to the side. Yeah. Shooting a flashlight through a windshield. Yeah. You know, um, when it's all when when you're just starting to pull sort of pull that curtain back on yeah. the magician, right? Yeah. And everything's new and and it's like this brighter light and you go to see movies in the theater and you're you know, you're you go with your friends but you notice things they don't and yeah. Like, about, yeah, about the about the hundredth time I watched Citizen Kane, yeah. um, I noticed do you, do you remember the shot? Um, that goes, uh, it, it's the shot of the sign of the nightclub where his widow is singing. Yeah. And the shot goes through the sign. The camera goes right through the sign and then <laughs> down through the, the skylight. Yeah. I don't. I, I forget how many times I watched that before I saw there's actually a physical break in the sign. Yeah. That as the camera gets just so, so it gets just close enough, and then you know, of course, the sign moves out of the way and it can continue through. And you know, I don't know that that just thrilled me so much. Yeah, that reminds me of the first time I found uh, the edits in the opening shot of Touch of Evil. Which was uh, obviously Citizen Kane was one of the ones I studied a million times when I was yeah. younger. But Touch of Evil was the one, uh, the one for me that that really got me and watching yeah. that opening scene. And then um, I remember for my dad was a movie called Tales of Hoffman, yeah. and there's a shot where this this creature leaves the room and the cape is present for the rest of the scene. And he used to be fascinated with that. And you know, you're right. I think that those are the things that. Um, those are the things that stick with us that make us want to do that that make us want to put things in a camera that not everybody's going to see that some people are going to see some people are going to pick up on everybody's going to enjoy the story but for the most part there's elements in everything that we do that's really just for us and sort of the you know the the few who are uh, who 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 catch it Mm -hmm. yeah so i'm sure you know um painters can walk through a, a museum and have a similar experience. You know, they, they understand the medium to, to a level that I'll never understand it. Um, right. And, you know, things, you know, things strike them that, you know, affect how they create, you know, the average person, you know, is not a filmmaker. You know, they get they get to watch movies differently than we do, (laughs) you know. Um, Yeah, it's just musicians, I'm sure, you know, 
have a completely different experience, you know, at 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 the symphony than 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 I do. So let me tell you this: like, I think the last time I remember going to a movie and being completely in awe of it was probably uh, the first Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Because right pretty soon after that um, is when I was really starting to study the craft of it, study the the technical side of how, how they did things. Yeah. And that was probably the last time I went to a movie as just a pure audience member. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and I miss that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it does, you know, kind of becoming a filmmaker, you do, you do sacrifice that. Yeah. You know, but, it's... you know, you're a writer. And I think that it's not just the filmmaking side. I think it's the storytelling side, right? Because, yeah. you know, I, I, like for me, I could watch a movie that, you know, has one of the, one of the same stories I've seen 350 times. Mm hmm but it looks different or there's something unique about it visually mm -hmm. and it keeps me riveted. Just like I can watch something that's boring visually, but it's a unique story or a unique twist on a story mm -hmm. and it keeps me riveted. So, but I think as a storyteller and as a filmmaker and as a creator, I think all of those things come together to, to create like the worst patient, right? Like the worst patient, yeah. the worst patient is a doctor, right? Uh -huh. So, <laughs> You know, I, I can't sit through a movie with, with people who uh, don't make movies. Anymore. Yeah. No, and, and like, you know, um, I, went, I went a few years back and saw The Witch. Yeah. And, you know, I know everybody loved it. <laughs> you know, but I couldn't, I couldn't get past the 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 many many flaws in it you know that just oh you know and they they weren't like poor photography or lighting or anything like that it's it's that you know it's the it's the the real nuts and bolts of movie making yeah that you know and they they, they kind of i think they they marketed that movie unfairly. I think marketing when, when they told me it was a horror movie, you know, it's not a horror movie. I thought that movie was visually stunning. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I absolutely thought that movie was visually stunning, but you just, you just touched on a nerve there. Mm -hmm. uh, the marketing of it, the marketing yeah. of the film. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about why let's talk about independent versus going to, a not even a full studio route, just a less yeah. independent route, right? Um, you know, we're talking about freedom and we're talking about marketing because, you know, the more we're going forward and the more conversations that I have um, about trying to get some of these projects off the ground, um, the more I'm realizing how much the formula right? The Hollywood formula, if I can make the biggest air quotes in, in the world, right? Because mm -hmm. there is no Hollywood formula. Everybody knows that. But the Hollywood formula, um, oh man, I kind of, it, it's, it's no longer a formula. It's an algorithm, right? Yeah. 
So, and it's, it's run so strictly. It is, um, you know, it's not even about who you know anymore. Yeah. Right? Like it's, it's about, do you fit, uh, do you fit in this demographic chart? I had a, I had a meeting once about a project of mine. Now, now bear in mind, I put together uh, this, this project this rise project. That's sort of my personal prologue to my father's early work. Um, and I, I have a, a, a full series Bible. I have a full script. I have lookbooks, concept art, attachments, the whole thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, and I've got also ancillary properties lined up, everything from board games to role-playing games to, I mean, literally this amazing thing that I've been developing for years and years and years. And uh, I sent this all to this meeting and I get on the phone call and it, and the meeting is, um, well, if you could picture in your mind a demo, a box, a demographic box with four grids. And I said, okay. And, and it went on to, you know, one grid is uh, 18 and under female. One grid is 18 and under male. One grid is 18 and over male and one grid is 18 and under female. How does your project fit into that grid? And I said, I'm sorry, I don't understand. I got to go. Are you there? I think Dan froze. It's the weirdest thing. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We must be angering some kind of spirit. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here in a, uh, 140 year old Baptist church. And I, I had my glasses sitting on the couch next to me. And just as the, the system just totally crashed and it said this, this, this live stream is over. Um, my glasses broke just sitting there on the couch. What? It was the weirdest thing. I don't know. I wasn't even touching them. So anyway, we may be uh, onto something. You, you, you were, you were saying uh, board games and some other thing. Yeah. Right. Okay. So just that was quick. where it crashed. So essentially, what I was talking about was I was talking about the fact that I've got this project. It's fully packaged. Mm-hmm. It's fully ready to go. It's fully ready to pitch. And I get on this phone call, and and the meeting goes something like this. So I, I sent you all this stuff. Did you have a chance to look it through? Oh, yeah, yeah, we went through everything. Okay, great. What do you think? Well, if you could picture a grid in your mind with four squares, and I said, sure. And they said, in one grid is uh, female 18 and under, and another is female 18 and over. And then in a third is male 18 and under, and in a fourth uh, is male 18 and over. Mm-hmm. How do you think this project would fit in to that grid? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I don't, that's not really the point of this phone call. I ended up getting out of the meeting very quickly because it literally didn't make sense. But that's what everything is yeah. boiling down to now is my point, right? Like, uh, you know, if, if Hollywood's going to, if, if a studio is going to make a movie, they've got different models now, right? They've got yeah. the, they've got the one to three million, right? They've got one yeah. million, $3 million budgets. They've got three million to $5 million budgets. They've got five to what, eight or nine now. Yeah. Uh, and then they've got like 13 and over, right? Mm-hmm. So there's nothing in that dead space. And everything that they take on now has to be in that one to three or that three to five. And then yeah. they've got this 
this algorithm where if you're going to direct a $5 million movie, that means you've got to, at some point in your career, already have directed a $50 million movie. Because if you haven't, then you can't possibly direct their $5 million movie and blah, blah. And so then there's this like formula, there's this spreadsheet. And now it's like you get it, you, you, you try to go and, and pick your way into these places. And it's like if your project doesn't fit in like every check mark of their spreadsheet, then, you know, it either, A, the best thing that can happen to you nowadays is they just say, no, thanks, you know, tell your story, walk and go kick rocks. The worst thing that can happen is that they give you some sort of six-month option or some sort of six-month something or other that, A, you know, gives you hope and, B, ultimately just puts your project in purgatory for whatever reason. Yeah. You know, so it's, you know, and I think that this got, you know, it, first of all, the first piece and best piece of advice I ever got about this industry was it's the only industry you can die from encouragement. Yeah. You know, um and and so this goes back to i kind of lost the thread here for a minute but i'm trying to get it back what we were talking about earlier with regard to you know in being an independent creator and the freedoms that you have and not having to deal with some of the problems like you brought up a film called the witch earlier and you know some of the problems inherent with filmmaking that may or may not be the filmmaker or the crew's problem it may come from some table full of lawyers or um, you know what i mean and and you know so executives I, I, <laughs> the suits reminds mm -hmm. me of uh of remember that movie amadeus there's too many notes yeah <laughs> so you know and and so now i think we've got this this independent this this sort of new independent right this new fringe right yeah. where we've got sort of outlaw creators like you you know, and we've got these fringe audiences and, you know, audiences, in, in my opinion, and tell me what you think about this. Audiences don't want to be told, go to watch this channel on Thursday night at nine o'clock. If you want to watch the show, audiences want to feel like they find and discover their own content, even though it's still being fed to them through subversive marketing tactics, mm -hmm. you know, and then at that point. You know, so so if if that's true and if you agree with that and if you don't agree with that, that's great, too. I would love to, you know, but if you do agree with that, tell me what you think about that as an independent creator. Where where do you come from with regard to audiences, your audiences, when you create, when you want to make something? Do you think about them or do you do you not worry about it until it's done? Um, I and think do you enjoy about freedom? them. I think about them, but, you know when if i'm really honest they are me you know um i'm i'm not good at, at, at you know i mean i tell the stories i want to see and want to tell um well we, as a creator that's your job but but when yeah. does the audience factor in when do they show up in your mind and in your project um I don't know. I, I guess, uh, you know, I never, I've, I've never tried. Well, no, I guess, you know, they, 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 yeah, they do kind of influence the, you know, letter by letter choice I make as I type, um, you know, how so? It, it's a conversation 
that happens in my head. And it's with somebody else who is, you know, watching the, the thing or, or, you know, reading the thing. Um, there, there is another, and I guess that is the audience. And, you know, it's, it's informed by the literally thousands <laughs> of people I've met who, who, who love the same stuff I do. Um, There's a lot of us, right? Yeah. There's more than people realize. Yeah, and, and, and to get back to your, your other point of, you know, not wanting to be told, you know, when they have to adjust their set to a particular number uh, to, to consume uh, uh, a piece of content. It, it is a video-on-demand culture. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I, I've, I've lamented that evolution so have I. Um, because there, there was there, there's something really, really important. I think that we have lost or have all but lost in having a public announcement of this movie is going to be playing at this place at this time, and if you want to see it, you have to go there with everybody else. And sit in the dark with them, whether you like them or not. Yep. And watch that movie, you know. Yeah. And it it was it was a, a you know a, a socially important element of of you know modern civilization, I think. And 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 that's that's rapidly rapidly disappearing. That's that's the great extinction. I agree. I agree completely. Yeah. There was a movie theater in Pittsburgh. It was on McKnight Road, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was a standalone movie theater owned mm -hmm. by a gentleman who loved movies and had a passion for it, and he kept it. Nobody in town knew it because we had multiplexes and everything, right? So everybody was going yeah. there because that was the big experience now. But there was this little movie theater just right down in the middle of this parking lot of a mall, and he had two screens. And because he loved movies so much, every time there was a technological upgrade for the theater, he would spend money to get it done. So mm -hmm. that was, you know, Dolby or surround sound or a better projector or, yeah. you know, whatever. And he showed film prints. And, and that was there. There were enough people in the know. You know, you'd go to the multiplex and there'd be, you know, 5000 people there. But when yeah. movies like Raiders opened or when movies like Empire opened. Um, you know, you would go to, or ET, you would go to this movie theater and folks would show up in time for the early morning show to get into the night show. And the line would wrap around the building twice and you had yeah. to, and you had to go past the, the exit doors. So now you've got all the people coming out who've just seen it, walking past you in line. And you're right. It would, there was a social element to that, that, yeah. that is gone forever. And, you yeah. know, and I think that that's something that, you know, it's sad to me that creators don't have that in their frame of reference. It's yeah. sad to me that creators don't remember what it was like to go to a movie theater and see a ginormous cardboard cutout that was bigger than life for a movie that was coming out in six months and you yeah. waited and waited and waited and waited and waited. And, um, and then you went and you had this phenomenal experience. I think that that, there's an inherent 
uh, element that that factors into modern creators that you're right stems directly from that experience. I don't yeah. know how to quantify it or label it or categorize it, but uh, and I'm not even sure what if I had to how I what I would say. Yeah. Um, Craig, this guy Craig, uh, Craig, terrible with pronunciation. So I'm gonna say Craig. He says it's a generational change. I, I agree, but there was generational changes that still involved that. You know, yeah. just because and, there's and, general, you know, generational change is not necessarily good for the generation. You know, well, that's a whole nother, we could do a whole episode about that. Yeah, yeah. No, and. You know, it's it's like radio. You know, I grew up in the Cleveland radio market where we listened to WMMS 101 FM, you know, and television. You know, we watched Channel 61 and Channel 43. You know, those were the monster movie channels. Uh, yeah. You know, and but they were local. You know, they were produced in Cleveland, you know. Um, and, you know, the, the you know, you remember uh, in American Graffiti, you know, they're listening to the radio all Friday, Saturday night. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a guy on the outskirts of town, you know. Uh, people call in and request, you know, it was a community thing. Yeah. And that's all gone. You know, yeah. you listen to you listen to your local radio station, it's programmed by some corporation. That's right. You know, we have a little radio no station. Yeah, we have a little radio station right downtown here. And you go down there and they've got all the stuff set up in the windows, like they've got old timey DJs and stuff. Never anybody there. It's all you know, I don't even know if they record it themselves anymore. They just I don't know if you can yeah. like have a radio station. I'm going to go buy a broadcast and, you know, like stock footage or whatever, but there's nobody yeah. ever there and the radio station's always on. So, but it's, you know, it's crap now. Everything's crap. Terrestrial radio's gone. That social experience is gone where, yeah. you know, uh, somebody here said uh, in this culture, we're never going to get a situation where the finale of MASH gets as many viewers as it did. I mean, I remember that. My, I was a kid, but I remember when. Yeah. Did. Yeah. You know, um, like that was uh, that gave an entire country of people something to talk about that that wasn't their problems. Yeah. Rem you know what you I know, mean? Remember, and, re remember when when Archie Bunker changed the diaper? Sure. Yeah. And we all saw it at the same time on the same night. And the next day we could share that experience with each other. Right. You know? Right. Um, yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't, it, it wasn't sharing, oh my God, this bill is due and I'm stressed out. And what am I going to yeah. do and now? I got to get on my grind or I got to get on a hustle and I got to make money. And yeah, <laughs> there was, there was something about it that allowed us to connect. And, and now, now, you know, the walking dead, I think came close to achieving, you know, that, that community, you know, but it was it was a, a, not a not a community based on geography. You know, it was just 
you know, all the fans would always tune in, you know, for every episode, you know, at the same time. And and now people wait until the season is over and then they binge watch. You shouldn't binge anything. You know, I think that watch. I think that community was already was already present prior to The Walking Dead. I think The Walking yeah. Dead gave them right gave they, them a they, place they to come together. That community was there. That's you know, it's it's no secret that the that the indie horror fan base is the single largest fan base mm-hmm. uh, out of any fan base, any fandom in the world. I mean, look, yeah. Comic Cons, look how big Comic Cons are. That you know, it could be argued that Comic Cons were born from independent horror film conventions. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that they, yeah. the horror community figured out how to come together as a community and do conventions and do shows and all of that stuff long before Comic-Con was ever a thing. And yeah. now look what that's grown into. Was, was, wasn't the first one in Cleveland? Uh, the first Comic-Con or the first horror convention? The, the first horror convention. Didn't, didn't Forrest Ackerman put together a horror convention like back in the early 70s? Uh-huh. I don't know. Yeah, that sounds, sounds familiar. Right. I don't know. I, I, yeah. I don't have my facts and. You know, but I mean, the reality is that those things, you know, begat The Walking Dead. Those things begat um, Comic Con. Those things, yeah. you know, and and you know, and now we've got a different kind of sense of community where everybody's making, everybody's, you know, like I, I know this producer guy who once said to me, um, you know, he congratulated me on on finishing a film that I shot on actual film. And he said, you know, congratulations, you've now breathed rarefied air. Yeah. And um, and he was right, you know. And I'm not saying that as a thing of, oh, my God, look what I did, blah, blah, blah. But it was really cool because there was a small group of people who knew how to use the equipment that was required yeah. to make a film. And there was Man, a lot. They're, getting, they're, they're, they're dying out. Right. And so now... You know, and it's wonderful that all this technology has come along and put the ability to make in so many people's pockets. But with so many people making, you know, it's this this sea of this endless sea of uh, of of people and content. And, you know, and and so, you know, I I think now it's like the challenge is no longer to make the challenge is now how to make stand out. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and and it's because the the system is under assault from both ends. You've got the wonderfully democratizing, you know, effect of technology putting a a, a, a high definition camera in everybody's pocket, sure, and on everybody's desktop a full you know system to edit the things, and then the from from the top it's you know, they've killed off all the curators, right? You know, there's, there's no guy who owns an independent movie house, you know, scouring the movie catalogs for, you know, interesting titles, reading, reading the trade papers to see, you know, what's the, you know, it's just, everybody's on their own and it's, yeah, it's who's got the most money. Uh, right. You know, who, who can, who can, who can occupy, you know, the, uh, a big enough ad space that, you know, they get enough people to watch whatever thing they want them to watch. Well, and here's where we're at now, right? Like there's got to come a paradigm shift. There's, so we have this community of horror film, uh, horror fans, 
we have this indie this this indie horror community of people who grew up like we grew up lo loving the old stuff loving the stuff that formed us respecting the giants that came before us before trying to stand on their shoulders right so mm -hmm. so now what we need is a new form of community we no longer need a community where horror fans like just like everything cool right like uh what started as cool horror conventions are now overly uh advertised overly corporatized uh ginormous comic cons mm -hmm. that are massive massive uh, uh money funnels and and all of this stuff and the 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 horror fans who were there at the beginning or at the early days of these conventions they're now left with comic cons as their you know, as their big once a year thing. And, and, and there's a lot of small horror uh, festivals and conventions, but they're, they're not, they need to evolve too. This whole community needs to evolve because we we're no longer a community of fans. We're a community of makers. We're a community of people who, who mm. create because we have to create. And so therefore the community needs to evolve. And that's what I'm trying to do with the Indie Brigade here. So instead of being a community to come together and admire, we need to be a community that comes together in, and inspires and, and helps to create. And it mm. says, yo, I'm making a short film. Uh, you know, I need a song and have somebody in the community be like, yo, here's a song. If you, if you love it, Let's talk. If you don't, move on. You know, I mean, yeah. like we can all help each other. We're at that point now. You know, I'm a, I, I said this earlier, I'm a woodworker. It's the thing that's kept me sane through my entire career. My granddad taught me how to work with wood when I was like seven. And um, there's a there's a community, you know, woodworking was always one of these. You would go off to your little your little shop with your single light bulb and you made stuff. And sometimes you would. You know, if people came over and said, hey, need salt shaker, you'd say, yeah, I made it. Well, now, just like everything else, there's this massive community of, of makers, with, of woodworkers, mm -hmm. who, who respect the traditional methods that came before, who respect how to use a hand plane, who respect how to restore a pre-war Stanley hand plane back to normal, all of that stuff. But this online community, man, these people, they, they love to help each other. They love to share. Hey, check out this box I just made. Oh, how'd you make that joint? Uh, how much do you charge for that? What kind of wood is that? Did you make a jig? And everybody lines up to help. And there's no, yeah, there's the occasional like asshole, but there's no, there's no, um, there's, there's no malice. It's true, genuine collaboratory, uh, you know, spirit. And, and that's what we as indie filmmakers and creators need. Um, it doesn't exist. It, it, we, like I've said all along, we support each other and we say great work. Um, you know, I'll click that like button, but you know, there is no power greater than the power of numbers. And, and we, yeah. need, we need that. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, because, you know, there, there are, you know, there, there are definitely, you know, movie making communities online, but yeah, there, there, there really isn't a, you know, cohesive, you know, horror particular, you know. Right. But, you know, yeah, there's, 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 there, there, there are a few starting with just, you know, general movie making.
Sure. Like, you know, how do you, what kind of camera should I buy? That kind of stuff. Yeah. But this yeah. is about much more than that. This is about, yeah. Hey, I'm trying, I made this movie. I'm working on a distribution deal. Hey everybody, this is some bullshit. I just ran into when it comes to distribution. Look out yeah, for this. Distributor. You, you, right. You know what I mean? Like look out for this when you're going down this road and yeah. you know, like it's, you know, put it out there and become a resource, a community resource, you know? Um, yeah. Anyway. Listen, Dan, it's been a, a pleasure to have you on. Uh, we're we're after the uh, we're, we're running into overtime here, so you know, you're uh, always going to do that when you invite me, though, because I can't, I, you know, I I I just yeah. Well, you I and I, I, enjoy I have no discipline that way. I, you know what? I enjoy talking with you, and I feel like you and I could probably do a whole episode just together, just you and me. So maybe we can do that in the future. Um, let's do that. In the meantime, let's. Um, you know, I want to know what's going on with, with Zombie Bear Attack. Um, Everybody here wants to know what's going on with Zombie Bear Attack. I've got the shirts in progress. Um, send me your size and address. Um, I may actually be able to. I'm doing a. I'm doing Rock and Shock in a couple of weeks. And I'm cool. hoping to bring some there. I promised. Uh, I promised a friend of mine some who's going to be there. So awesome. Uh, the artwork and is the beautiful. shirts. We've got shirts coming. Okay. So that's an important step. Yeah. You know, I don't know. <laughs> and actually going back to your, your uh, talking about film, I was, at, I was actually looking at shooting zombie bear on, on uh, super 16. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, it's a great experience. Um, uh, I, I, yeah, I've, I've I've only ever done one, uh, and I was an actor in a movie that was shot on 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 film. Um, and yeah, it's it's completely different than than digital. You know, just as even acting is different. You know, yeah, you don't shoot, you don't shoot the rehearsals. Not like <laughs> Robert Altman. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, um, back in the day when when you know, yeah, they yeah. used to spend ridiculous amounts of money on. I oh, used to so, own. Anyway. I, I used to own a couple Airy BL2s, and yeah. um, and we shot. Uh, I shot a bunch of stuff on them, and yeah. uh, I've shot Super 16, and I've shot 35, um, yeah. and uh, I think the worst experience I had shooting film was I was shooting this period thing. It took place in the 50s, and even the camera and the lenses I was using were from the 50s, and mm -hmm. and. Uh, so the video tap goes out on like day two of like a five day shoot. And uh, it was one of these specialty video taps because the camera was like, you know, from yeah. the fifth. So yeah. there was no like, <laughs> there was no call B&H and, and have them overnight be a video tap. So yeah. I had the whole rest of the thing without video assist. Yeah. Um, Old school, and, man. Yeah. And it was great. It turned out great. But, you know, yeah. here's an interesting thing. Shooting film, you got to be careful of your processing lab. I shot a film on Super 16, sent it off to the processing lab. One entire, like, I don't know, like uh, several thousand feet of film came back with a scratch down the middle because they, wow. just, don't, they just don't do it as much anymore. Yeah. So they were out of practice, and they used dirty solution, and it ran a scratch down the film, and it cost oh. literally – it cost that, that you know, it, it cost so much money to restore it, and, and it, we never got rid of it. So, you know, I mean, but it's, uh, look, all of that said, I would shoot, I would shoot 35 or 16 again tomorrow. I love it. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I'm seriously, it. seriously considering it. You know, it's it's not. You know, it's it's really hard to 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 you know, it's it's not as expensive as people seem to think it is. No, it it's certainly more technically demanding, but yep. you know, I I I want to keep those people who know how to do it working. You know? Well, and that's where the big part of the expense comes from these days is is having a crew that's that's is skilled and, and and experienced in it. You know, you're looking at at shorter days, and you know you're looking, yeah. at, you know, so yeah. your your extra expense comes when when the camera dies, or you know, or you've got a dirty gate, and you know, um, but it's it's such a phenomenal and wonderful experience, you know, I. Yeah. I and and I, I really 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 want to do all of my audio moving forward. I want to do it all analog too, on the old on the old Nagra reel to reels. The last movie I think that I remember analog audio in was Wolf with uh, Nicholson, mm-hmm. and and the audio. If you listen, if you watch that movie and listen to the audio, it's uh, it's so warm and it's so right in your lap, and it yeah. goes so well with the film. Um, you know, I'm I'm excited for 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 updates on Zombie Bear Attack, man. I really am. And All right. uh, you know, and if you if you need a, a bald biker type, I know a guy. All right. <laughs> Listen, buddy, it's been awesome having you on. It means the world to me that you came on. Well, thank you very much, George. It was it's a, it's always a thrill to talk to you. Back so, at you. Dan, before you leave, what do you have going on in the next couple of weeks or couple of months? Do you have conventions? Did, did he hear Did he not hear me? Can you hear me? There you, you are. Okay, so the question on hand, Joe has popped up and asked, and I should have as a good host asked this, what do you have upcoming in the next couple of months? What conventions do you have? Where are you going to be? Where can people find you, talk to you, stalk oh, you? Oh, um, all right. Well, Rock and Shock is in a couple of weeks. That's in uh, Worcester, right near Boston. Um, I'll be in uh, in uh, the Scranton area um, a couple of weekends after that. Um, we're doing a, a little Halloween party at Watkins Glen International Raceway. I believe it's on Friday the 25th. Um, it's part of their, uh, they have this big autumn beer festival there and, but we're doing a real Halloween haunt thing. And I, I'm not sure what, what all they've got in mind, but they asked me to show up. So heck I show up. Well, there you go. And, Why not? Yeah. And, uh, in, in Scranton, um, I know we're doing a couple of appearances at the, the train, uh, in Honesdale. And if I were a better human being, I'd remember the name of the of the train line. It's a historic train, and it's where we shot Volition last year. Very um, cool. So we shot it on one of their trains, and uh, we're we're going to do a, an appearance there. Um, what else? Nothing. Nothing that I can remember. Um, <laughs> Anyway, that's a lot to, re- I mean, you just remembered a lot. So I know, uh, you know, yeah, I, I deserve Where can something. people go to find out stuff that you don't remember now? Um, probably the Facebook, um, 
I'm just Dan Yeager Leatherface on Facebook. Um, that's the only one I've really figured out how, how it works. And bad anger pictures. So I go with that. Um, he can't hear me, can he? Yeah, that's probably the best place. <laughs> no, he can't hear you, Joe. Tell him to mention bad anger pictures too, please. Joe, Joe wants to remind you to mention bad anger pictures. Bad anger pictures. See, that's why Joe's good because I don't, I don't remember things. And uh, yeah, I'll put it on bad anger pictures too. Cool. That's that's a good good idea. All right, and then you'll be getting you. Everybody on tonight will be getting their invitations to the Indie Brigade Facebook group right now. It's just going to be us, a happy little group of people. But we are working. We are working to grow that that group into a mm -hmm. large community. So um, you know, uh, definitely, as you see that growing, please feel free to become an active sort of mentor in there, uh, as much as you're willing or able to do. And um, you know, and I'm looking forward to having you on some more. And and you let me yeah. know anytime you want me to come on to yours again. I feel like you and I should we should start conversations on one show and finish them on the other and kind of just switch it up like that. I think that would be. Yeah. Too. All right. All right, buddy. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming on, man. Oh, thanks for having me, man. It's been, it's been fun. A pleasure. Yeah, it's been fun. Have a great night, Dan. Thank you again. You, you too. Take care. All right. You too. Bye. Wow. I, I that was one of the coolest conversations, interviews, kind of, I was just here going, damn, good questions, good answers. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad. So uh, we, we had a couple of uh, snafus again, but hey, uh, I'm totally digging what happened here. And thank you, everybody who showed up and was patient. And to everybody who commented and viewed, greatly appreciated. I'm going to download this and we'll... Uh, Maybe edit a little and put it on YouTube. Um, what do you got going on, George, that they need to know about? Nothing really, just hanging out. All right. So where are they going to go to <laughs> watch you again, hopefully next time? <laughs> uh, I love I love doing that shit to you, Joe. You know You're that, killing right? me, man. You're killing me. <laughs> I can feel my face just turning. You physically turned red. That was awesome. Uh, <laughs> let me reach for this bag of candy. <laughs> that is going to be the best inside joke ever. Uh -huh. So obviously I want to thank everybody who showed up, paid attention, stayed, you know, uh, and, and hung out and, and made awesome comments. I, I know I didn't get to all of them. This is all sort of very free form. Um, I, just because I didn't maybe talk about them online doesn't mean we didn't see them. Doesn't mean I won't try to respond to all of them or as many as I can, uh, you know, after the fact, if that's even something that's possible. Um, you know, in the future episodes of this, we're currently trying to figure out if this is going to be a weekly or a bi-weekly thing. Um, I'm down for either or. I think it's just going to kind of be about whether or not, you know, and how often we can book guests and, and all that kind of stuff. But I hope everybody who who, who showed up and stayed really enjoyed uh, the conversations that were going on tonight. Uh, and I hope that uh, everybody's really cool with the concept of what the Indie Brigade is hopefully going to turn into one day. Uh, everything else I'm working on, uh, you can follow along 
uh, on my Facebook. Um, you can follow along on the Indie Brigade page. Uh, you can follow along on my Instagram, uh, which is uh, George Cameron underscore Romero. Um, no, and, wait, a minute, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Time out, time out. All right, you said Indie Brigade Facebook page. Yeah. Do we have an Instagram? Is there an Indie Brigade? Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Uh, right. See, Joe, this is why you should do this part. <laughs> Joe is such a good producer. I don't even know half the shit we have. <laughs> so, so look, Indie Brigade is on uh, everything now. Apparently, we're on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Um, uh, you're, you don't do that Snapchat thing. I hear that's dirty. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't do dirty things like that. Um, but uh, just pay attention, follow along, and. Um, you know, for those of you who don't uh, know, I've been a, uh, a sort of freelance production designer, prop maker, and woodworker my entire life. Um, and uh, so we have now, my, my wife has recently uh, convinced me to kind of put that out into the world. So we do custom woodworking, furniture, prop making, uh, all that kind of stuff. And I am, uh, I really just do it to kind of teach our son, um, you know, how to how to start and run a successful small business. So that company is called McKim Wooden Leather. I'm sure y'all will see some plugs for that here and there. Uh, you can find links to it all over social media. Come check us out. We make cool stuff. Um, and some of that cool stuff is available for purchase on the internet. Uh, and I got to throw it out there. They have really cool beard combs. Which yeah. Me yet. I'm trying, man, with the beard thing. It's this one. This was this was this was my son's uh, first. Wait, where's the camera? My son's oh, first the brass one. knuckles. Right? Look at that. Yeah, so that's pretty badass. You can buy those. <laughs> um, we made these for a short film, and um, he came up with this particular brass knuckle design. And so we we sell these on the on the internet. Uh, right. So it's McKimWoodenLeather.com, um, and uh, yeah, shameless plug. Thank you for anybody who stayed to the end. Absolutely. So we got YouTube, we got Twitter, we got Instagram, we got Facebook. And I have a feeling this is going to be a, a giant step for the independent filmmaker, musicians, Indian general community. Um, let's build this thing. I hope so. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. Come back, share this stuff. I love that you click the like button. If you're going to click, I just read a whole thing about the new Facebook algorithms and the way it's happening. The likes are awesome, but Facebook is going to start ignoring the likes. They want people to click love. They want people to click anything that requires them to put more thought into it than a like. And what really matters is those shares. So, you know, share this stuff out. Talk about it. The first rule of Indie Brigade is you must talk about Indie Brigade. And with the actual page, not only like the page, follow the page. They they notice that also. So yeah. like and follow the page if you could, please. Help us spread the word, help us piss people off, and help us make new friends. And since I know Dan is still watching, Bad Anger Pictures, like and follow that also. Absolutely. Because Bad Anger Pictures is the bomb. And thank you again to Scott Lake, Chuck Daniels, Brian Tan, and Dan Yeager for coming out. This All right, way. we're going to sign off now. Do something. What's going to be your sign off? I don't have one. I don't I don't have one of those. No, yeah, you're under pressure now. You got to. I'm not I'm not that guy. I'm just gonna say fuck off till next time. Fair enough. See you guys.